Section 9 The Critique of Pure Reason by Immanuel Kant Transcendental Doctrine of Elements Part 2nd Transcendental Logic First Division Transcendental Analytic Book 1 Analytic of Conceptions Chapter 2 Of the Deduction of the Pure Conceptions of the Understanding Section 2 Transcendental Deduction of the Pure Conceptions of the Understanding Subsections 11 through 19 Recording by Jim Tiley in New Meadows, Idaho Of the Possibility of a Conjunction of the Manifold Representations Given by Sense The Manifold Content in our representations can be given in an intuition which is merely sensuous in other words is nothing but susceptibility and the form of this intuition can exist a priori in our faculty of representation without being anything else but the mode in which the subject is affected. But the conjunction in parentheses conjunctio in parentheses of a manifold in intuition never can be given us by the senses. It cannot therefore be contained in the pure form of sensuous intuition, for it is a spontaneous act of the faculty of representation and as we must to distinguish it from sensibility entitle this faculty understanding so all conjunction whether conscious or unconscious be it of the manifold in intuition sensuous or non-sensuous or of several conceptions is an act of understanding. To this act we shall give the general appellation of synthesis, thereby to indicate, at the same time, that we cannot represent anything as conjoined in the object without having previously conjoined it ourselves. Of all mental notions, that of conjunction is the only one which cannot be given thorough objects, but can be originated only by the subject itself, because it, because it is an act of its purely spontaneous activity. The reader will easily enough perceive that the possibility of conjunction must be grounded in the very nature of this act and that it must be equally valid for all conjunction, and that analysis, which appears to be its contrary, must nevertheless always presuppose it. For where the understanding has not previously conjoined, it cannot dissect or analyze, because only as conjoined by it must that which it is to be analyzed have been given to our faculty of representation.
but the conception of conjunction includes besides the conception of the manifold and of the synthesis of it that of the unity of it also conjunction is the representation of the synthetical unity of the manifold begin footnote 17 whether the representations are in themselves identical and consequently whether one can be thought analytically by means of and through the other is a question which we need not at present consider our consciousness of the one when we speak of the manifold is always distinguishable from our consciousness of the other and it is only respecting the synthesis of this in parentheses possible in parentheses consciousness that we here treat end footnote 17 this idea of unity therefore cannot arise out of that of conjunction much rather does that idea by combining itself with the representation of the manifold render the conception of conjunction possible this unity which a priori precedes all conceptions of conjunction is not the is not the category of unity in parentheses ss6 and parentheses for all the categories are based upon logical functions of judgment and in these functions we already have conjunction and consequently unity of given conceptions it is therefore evident that the category of unity presupposes conjunction we must therefore look still higher for this unity parentheses as qualitative ss8 and parentheses in that namely which contains the ground of the unity of diverse conceptions and judgments the ground consequently of the possibility of the existence of the understanding even in regard to its logical use of the originally synthetical unity of apperception ss12 the quote i think end quote must accompany all my representations for otherwise something would be represented in me which could not be thought in other words the representation would either be impossible or at least be in relation to me nothing that representation which can be given previously to all thought is called intuition all the diversity or manifold content of intuition has therefore a necessary relation to the 
quote, I think, end quote, in the subject in which this diversity is found. But this representation, quote, I think, end quote, is an act of spontaneity. That is to say, it cannot be regarded as belonging to mere sensibility. I call it pure apperception in order to distinguish it from empirical or primitive apperception because it is self-consciousness which, whilst it gives birth to the representation, quote, I think, end quote, must necessarily be capable of accompanying all our representations. It is in all acts of consciousness one and the same, and unaccompanied by it, no, represent, no representation can exist for me. The unity of this apperception I call the transcendental unity of self-consciousness in order to indicate the possibility of a priori cognition arising from it. For the manifold representations which are given in an, in, in an intuition would not all of them be my representations if they did not all belong to one self-consciousness. That is, as my representations begin parentheses, even although I am not conscious of them as such, end parentheses, they must conform to the condition under which alone they can exist together in a common self-consciousness, because otherwise they would not all, without exception, belong to me. From this primitive conjunction follow many important results. For example, this universal identity of the apperception of the manifold given in intuition contains a synthesis of representations and is, and is possible only by means of the consciousness of this synthesis. For the empirical consciousness which accompanies different representations is in itself fragmentary and disunited and without relation to the identity of the subject. This relation, then, does not exist because I accompany every, repre every representation with consciousness, but because I join one representation to another and am conscious of the synthesis of them. Consequently, only because I can connect a variety of given representations in one consciousness is it possible that I can represent to myself the identity of consciousness in these representations. In other words, the analytical unity of apperception is possible only under the presupposition of a synthetical unity. Begin footnote 18. All general conceptions, as such, depend for their existence 
on the analytical unity of consciousness. For example, when I think of red in general, I thereby think to myself a property which, begin parentheses, as a characteristic mark, end parentheses, can be discovered somewhere or can be united with other representations. Consequently, it is only by means of a forethought possible synthetical unity that I can think to myself the analytical. A representation which is cogitated as common to different representations is regarded as belonging to such as, besides this common representation, contains something different. Consequently, it must be it must be previously thought in synthetical unity with other, although only possible, representations before I can think in it the analytical unity of consciousness which makes it a conceptus communis. And thus, the synthetical unity of apperception is the highest point with which we must connect every operation of the understanding, even the whole of logic, and after it our transcendental philosophy. Indeed, this faculty is the understanding itself. End footnote 18. The thought, quote, these representations given in intuition belong all of them to me, end quote, is accordingly just the same as I unite them in one self-consciousness, or can at least so unite them, end quote. And although this thought is not itself the consciousness of the synthesis of representations, it presupposes the possibility of it. That is to say, for the reason alone that I can comprehend the variety of my representations in one consciousness, do I call them my representations. For otherwise, I must have as many colored and as various a self as are the representations of which I am conscious. Synthetical unity of the manifold in intuitions as given a priori is therefore the foundation of the identity of apperception itself, which antecedes a priori all determinate thought. But the conjunction of representations into a conception is not to be found in objects themselves, nor can it be, as it were, borrowed from them and taken up into the understanding by perception. But it, but it is on the contrary an operation of the understanding itself, which is nothing more than the faculty of conjoining a priori and of bringing the variety of given representations 
under the unity of apperception. This principle is the highest, is the highest in all human cognition. This fundamental principle of the necessary unity of apperception is indeed an identical and therefore analytical proposition, but it nevertheless explains the necessity for a synthesis of the manifold given in an intuition, without which the identity of self-consciousness would be incogitable. For the ego, as a simple representation, presents us with no manifold content, only in intuition, which is quite different from the representation ego, can it be given us, and by means of conjunction it is cogitated in one self-consciousness, an undertaking in which all the manifold should be given by means of consciousness itself would be intuitive. Our understanding can only think and must look for its intuition to sense. I am, therefore, conscious of my identical self in relation to all the variety of representations given to me in an intuition because I call all of them my representations. In other words, I am conscious myself of a necessary a priori synthesis of my representations, which is called the original synthetical unity of apperception, under which rank all the representations presented to me, but that only by means of a synthesis. The principle of the synthetical unity of apperception is the highest principle of all exercise of the understanding. SS 13. The supreme principle of the possibility of all intuition in relation to the sensibility was according to our transcendental aesthetic, that all the manifold in intuition be subject to the formal conditions of space and time. The, su the supreme principle of the possibility of it in relation to the understanding is that all the manifold in it be subject to conditions of the originally synthetical unity or apperception. Begin footnote 19. Space and time, and all portions thereof, are intuitions. Consequently are, with a manifold for their content, single representations, in parentheses, see the transcendental aesthetic. End parentheses. Consequently, they are not pure conceptions by means of which the same consciousness is found 
in a great number of representations, but on the contrary, there are many representations contained in one, the consciousness of which is, so to speak, compounded. The unity of consciousness is nevertheless synthetical and, therefore, primitive. From this peculiar character of consciousness follow many important consequences. In parentheses, CSS 21, end parenthesis, end footnote 19. To the former of these two principles are subject all the various representations of intuition, insofar as they are given to us. To the latter, insofar as they must be capable of conjunction in one consciousness. For without this, nothing can be thought or cognized, because the given representations would not have in common the act of the apperception. Quote, I think, end quote, and therefore could not be connected in one self-consciousness. Understanding is, to speak generally, the faculty of cognitions. These consist in the determined relation of given representation to an object. But an object is that in the conception of which the manifold in a given intuition is united. Now all union of representations requires unity of consciousness in the synthesis of them. Consequently, it is the unity of consciousness alone that constitutes the possibility of representations relating to an object and therefore of their objective validity and of their becoming cognitions and consequently the possibility of the existence of the understanding itself. The first pure cognition of understanding then upon which is founded all its other exercise and which is at the same time perfectly independent of all conditions of mere sensuous intuition is the principle of the original synthetical unity of apperception. Thus the mere form of external sensuous intuition, namely space, affords us, per se, no cognition. It merely contributes the manifold in a priori intuition to a possible cognition. But in order to cognize something in space, begin parentheses, for example, a line, end parentheses, I must draw it and thus produce synthetically a determined conjunction of the given manifold, so that the unity, unity of this act is at the same time the unity of consciousness, 
begin parentheses in the conception of a line end parentheses and by this means alone is an object begin parentheses a determinate space end parentheses cognized the synthetical unity of consciousness is therefore an objective condition of all cognition which I do not merely require in order to cognize an object but to which every intuition must necessarily be subject in order to in order to become an object for me because in any other way and without this synthesis the manifold in intuition could not be united in one consciousness the proposition is as already said itself analytical although it constitutes the synthetical unity the condition of all thought for it states nothing more than that all my representations in any given intuition must be subject to the condition which alone enables me con to connect them as my representation with the identical self and so to and so to unite them synthetically in one apperception by means of the general expression quote, I think end quote. but this principle is not to be regarded as a principle for every possible understanding but only for the understanding by means of who of whose pure apperception in the thought I am no manifold content is given the understanding or mind which contained the manifold in intuition in and through the act itself of its own self-consciousness in other words an understanding by and in the representation of which the objects of the representation should at the same time exist would not require a special act of synthesis of the manifold as the condition of the unity of its consciousness an act of which the human understanding which thinks only and cannot into intuite has absolute need but this principle is the first principle of all the operations of our understanding so that we cannot form the least conception of any other possible understanding either of one such as should be itself intuition or possess a sensuous intuition but with forms different from those of space and time what objective unity of self-consciousness is SS 14 it is by means of the transcendental unity of apperception that all the manifold given an intuition is united into a conception of the object 
On this account, it is called objective and must be distinguished from the subjective unity of consciousness, which is a determination of the internal sense by means of which the said manifold in intuition is given empirically to be so united. Whether I can be empirically conscious of the manifold as, co as coexistent or as successive depends upon circumstances or empirical conditions. Hence, the empirical unity of consciousness by means of association of representations itself relates to a phenomenal world and is wholly contingent. On the contrary, the pure form of intuition in time, merely as an intuition, which contains a given manifold, is subject to the original uni unity of consciousness, and that solely by means of the necessary, re necessary relation of the manifold in intuition to the, quote, I think, end quote, consequently, by means of the pure synthesis of the understanding, which lies a priori at the foundation of all empirical synthesis. The transcendental unity of apperception is alone objectively valid. The empirical, which we do not consider in this essay, and which is merely a unity deduced from the former under given conditions in concreto, possesses only subjective validity. One person connects the notion conveyed in a word with one thing, another with another thing, and the unity of consciousness in that which is empirical is, in relation to that which is given by experience, not necessarily and universally valid. The logical form of all judgments consists in the objective unity of apperception of the conceptions contained therein. SS 15 I could never satisfy myself with the definition which, which logicians give of a judgment. It is, according to them, the representation of a relation between two conceptions. I shall not dwell here on the faultiness of this, de of this definition, in that it suits only for categorical and not for hypothetical or disjunctive judgments, these latter containing a relation not of conceptions but of judgments themselves a blunder from which many evil results have followed. Begin footnote 20. The tedious doctrine of the four syllogistic figures concerns only categorical syllogisms, and although it is nothing more than an artifice by surreptitiously introducing immediate conclusions, consequentiae immediatae, among the premises of a pure syllogism, to give ism, give 
To give ism give rise to an appearance of mere modes of drawing a conclusion, than that in the first figure the artifice would not have had much success, had not its authors succeeded in bringing categorical judgments into exclusive respect, as those to which all others must be referred, a doctrine, however, which, according to S.S. 5, is utterly false. But if I investigate more closely the relation of given cognitions in every judgment, and distinguish it, as belonging to the understanding, from the relation which is produced according to laws of reproductive imagination, which has only subjective validity, I find that judgment is nothing but the mode of bringing given cognitions under the objective unit of apperception. This is plain from our use of the term of relation, as in judgments, in order to distinguish the objective unity of given representations from the subjective unity. For this term indicates the relation of these representations to the original apperception, and also their necessary unity, even although the judgment is empirical, therefore contingent, as in the judgment, all bodies are heavy. I do not mean by this that these representations do necessarily belong to each other in empirical intuition, but that by means of the necessary unity of appreciation they belong to each other in the synthesis of intuitions, that is to say, they belong to each other according to principles of the objective determination of all our representations. In so far as cognition can arise from them, these principles being all deduced from the main principle of the transcendental unity of apperception. In this way alone can there arise from this relation a judgment, that is, a relation which has objective validity, and is perfectly distinct from that relation of the very same representations which has only subjective validity, a relation to wit which is produced according to laws of association. According to these laws, I could only say, when I hold in my hand or carry a body, I feel an impression of weight. But I could not say, it, the body, is heavy, for this is tantamount to saying both these representations are conjoined in the object, that is, without distinction as to the condition of the subject, and do not merely stand together in my perception, however frequently the perceptive act may be repeated. SS 16. All sensuous intuitions are subject to the categories, as conditions under which alone the manifold content of them can be united in one consciousness. The manifold content given in a sensuous intuition comes necessarily under the original synthetical unity of apperception, because thereby alone is the unity of intuition possible. SS 13. But that act of the understanding, by which the manifold content of given representations, whether intuitions or conceptions, is brought under one apperception, is the logical function of judgments. SS 15. All the manifold, therefore, in so far as it is given in one empirical intuition, is determined in relation to one of the logical functions of judgment, by means of which it is brought into union in one consciousness. Now the categories are nothing else than these functions of judgment, so far as the manifold in a given intuition 
is determined in relation to them. SS 9. Consequently, the manifold in a given intuition is necessarily subject to the categories of the understanding. Observation. SS 17. The manifold in an intuition, which I call mine, is represented by means of the synthesis of the understanding, as belonging to the necessary unity of self-consciousness, and this takes place by means of the category. The category indicates accordingly that the empirical consciousness of a given manifold in an intuition is subject to a pure self-consciousness a priori, in the same manner as an empirical intuition is subject to a pure sensuous intuition, which is also a priori. In the above proposition, then, lies the beginning of a deduction of the pure conceptions of the understanding. Now, as the categories have their origin in the understanding alone, independently of sensibility, I must, in my deduction, make abstraction of the mode in which the manifold of an empirical intuition is given, in order to fix my attention exclusively on the unity which is brought by the understanding into the intuition by means of the category. In what follows, SS 22, it will be shown, from the mode in which the empirical intuition is given in the faculty of sensibility, that the unity which belongs to it is no other than that which the category, according to SS 16, imposes on the manifold in a given intuition, and thus its a priori validity in regard to all objects of sense being established, the purpose of our deduction will be fully attained. Footnote. The proof of this rests on the represented unity of intuition, by means of which an object is given, and which always includes in itself a synthesis of the manifold to be intuited, and also the relation of this latter to unity of apperception. End of footnote. But there is one thing in the above demonstration of which I could not make an abstraction, namely, that the manifold to be intuited must be given previously to the synthesis of the understanding, and independently of it. How this takes place remains here undetermined. For if I cogitate an understanding which was itself intuitive, as, for example, a divine understanding which should not represent given objects, but by whose representation the objects themselves should be given or produced, the categories would possess no significance in relation to such a faculty of cognition. They are merely rules for an understanding, whose whole power consists in thought, that is, in the act of submitting the synthesis of the manifold which is presented to it, in intuition from a very different quarter, to the unity of apperception, a faculty, therefore, which cognizes nothing per se, but only connects and arranges the material of cognition, the intuition, namely, which must be presented to it by means of the object. But to show reasons for this peculiar character of our understandings, that it produces unity of apperception a priori only by means of categories, and a certain kind and number thereof, is as impossible as to explain why we are endowed with precisely so many functions of judgment and no more, or why time and space are the only forms of our intuition. In cognition, 
its application to object of experience is the only legitimate use of the category. Section 18. To think an object and to cognize an object are by no means the same thing. In cognition there are two elements. Firstly, the conception, whereby an object is cogitated, the category, and secondly, the intuition, whereby the object is given. For supposing that to the conception a corresponding intuition could not be given, it would still be a thought as regards its form, but without any object, and no cognition of anything would be possible by means of it. Inasmuch as, so far as I knew, there existed and could exist nothing to which my thought could be applied. Now, all intuition possible to us is sensuous. Consequently, our thought of an object, by no means of a pure conception of the understanding, can become cognition for us only in so far as this conception is applied to objects of the senses. Sensuous intuition is either pure intuition, space and time, or empirical intuition, of that which is immediately represented in space and time by means of sensation as real. Through the determination of pure intuition, we obtain a priori cognitions of objects, as in mathematics, but only as regards their form as phenomena, whether there can exist things which must be intuited in this form is not thereby established. All mathematical conceptions, therefore, are not per se cognition, except in so far as we presuppose that there exist things which can only be represented conformably to the form of our pure sensuous intuition. But things in space and time are given only in so far as they are perceptions, representations accompanied with sensation, therefore only by empirical representation. Consequently, the pure conceptions of the understanding, even when they are applied to intuitions a priori, as in mathematics, produce cognition only in so far as these, and therefore the conceptions of the understanding by means of them, can be applied to empirical intuitions. Consequently, the categories do not, even by means of pure intuition, afford us any cognition of things. They can only do so in so far as they can be applied to empirical intuition. That is to say, the categories serve only to render empirical cognition possible. But this is what we call experience. Consequently, in cognition, their application to objects of experience is the only legitimate use of the categories. Section 19 The foregoing proposition is of the utmost importance, for it determines the limits of the exercise of the pure conceptions of the understanding in regard to objects, just as transcendental aesthetic determines the limits of the exercise of the pure form of our sensuous intuition. Space and time, as conditions of the possibility of the presentation of objects to us, are valid no further than for objects of sense, consequently only for experience. Beyond these limits they represent to us nothing, for they belong only to sense and have no reality apart from it. The pure conceptions of the understanding are free from this limitation, 
and extend to objects of intuition in general, be the intuition like or unlike to ours, provided only it be sensuous, and not intellectual. But this extension of conceptions beyond the range of our intuition is of no advantage, for they are then mere empty conceptions of objects, as to the possibility or impossibility of the existence of which they furnish us with no means of discovery. They are mere forms of thought, without objective reality, because we have no intuition to which the synthetical unity of apperception, which alone the categories contain, could be applied, for the purpose of determining an object. Our sensuous and empirical intuition can alone give them significance and meaning. If, then, we suppose an object of a non-sensuous intuition to be given, we can in that case represent it by all those predicates which are implied in the presupposition that nothing appertaining to sensuous intuition belongs to it, for example, that it is not extended, or in space, that its duration is not time, that in it no change, the effect of the determinations in time, is to be met with, and so on. But it is no proper knowledge if I merely indicate what the intuition of the object is not, without being able to say what is contained in it. For I have not shown the possibility of an object to which my pure conception of understanding could be applicable, because I have not been able to furnish any intuition corresponding to it. But am only able to say that our intuition is not valid for it. But the most important point is this, that to a something of this kind not one category can be found applicable. Take, for example, the conception of substance, that is, something that can exist as subject, but never as mere predicate. In regard to this conception I am quite ignorant whether there can really be anything to correspond to such a determination of thought, if empirical intuition did not afford me the occasion for its application. But of this, more in the sequel. End of section 9 Recorded by Jim Tiley, and also by Sibella Denton.